name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong and welcome to Lifestyle Matters with Dr. Savina. Hello, Savina. How are you? Hi, Fergal. Good, thank you. So the last time we spoke, we were kind of touching on this mnemonic, which is called CULT, C-O-L-T-E. Can you explain what that means? Okay, so just to refresh our memories, I suppose, we'll just go through what C-O-L-T stands for first. So C stands for carbs. O stands for osmolality, which is the salt water balance in our body. Um, L stands for light. T stands for temperature and E stands for exercise. So let's get the ball rolling with the most common thing um, that we talk about and we notice when we eat a huge carb-filled meal. Um, Why do we actually feel sleepy? Um, And this really comes down to three sort of hormones, serotonin, melatonin, and another one called orexin. So when we eat carbs, we know that insulin is triggered it's released. And what insulin does, it removes all your amino acids from your blood. All amino acids except for a amino acid called tryptophan. Now, tryptophan is basically what is used to make serotonin and melatonin. Now, on an under normal circumstance, when you're not eating a carb-filled meal, um, tryptophan can't enter the blood-brain barrier easily because it's competing with the other amino acids. But now, once insulin's removed all the amino acids, tryptophan's there, free to cross the blood-brain barrier, enters the brain, increases serotonin, increases melatonin, and that makes us sleepy. Then the other hormone that I was I was referring to, the third hormone called orexin. Now, orexin is another hormone produced by orexin cells in our brain cells. This hormone promotes wakefulness. When you eat carbs, that get broken down broken down to sugars. And what sugar does, it goes and binds to these orexin cells. Therefore, you don't feel so weak and you feel more sluggish. That's basically how carbs, in a nutshell, makes us feel sleepy. Yeah, so we know that you know a carb-rich meal alters the, the hormonal milieu of the brain towards and promotes us uh, towards sleep. But we also know that eating late at night is not good for you. So what we really need is that balance between a carb-rich meal in, in the evening and two to three hours at least, if not four hours, before bedtime or before anticipated sleep time so that we get that optimum time to allow digestion to occur, to have the effect of insulin to occur and to then change the hormonal milieu and, that, and for that change to occur to then allow us to sleep. So that's about four hours if we can do that. So it's all about the timing of the last meal and also the, the type of meal that it is. So a carb-rich meal, four hours before sleep is the best way of actually trying to entrain sleep. And, um, and you know, the other thing to, to note is that, that uh, carbohydrates actually promote satiety. So that's one of the issues with um, you know, low-carbohydrate foods is that, or low-carbohydrate diets is that we just don't feel as full as we would with a, with a carbohydrate-rich meal. So when you're trying to go to sleep and you're hungry, that's another reason why you might think about having carbs at night. So, Savina, we've talked about carbohydrates and their role in entraining the circadian rhythm. But referring back to the mnemonic cult, what other factors are useful in understanding entrainment of the circadian rhythm? Okay, so if we go to O next, um, O being osmolality. Osmolality refers to the salt water balance mm-hmm. in our body, in our plasma. Um, yeah. And when we, we know when we eat a high sodium content food, 
or if we are dehydrated, um, we can struggle to fall asleep better. Would you like to take us through that, mm. Virgil, as to why that may be? So it goes back to the natural ebb and flow of body temperature as we go through sleep. So in the first half of sleep, the early sleep phase, we have a natural tendency to lower our core temperature, and this is achieved by peripheral vasodilation. So our hands and our feet, the blood vessels in our hands and our feet dilate. That allows more blood to leave our core, to go to our hands and feet, which then allows more body heat to leave our core to then go to our peripheries. And in the second half of sleep, there is a reversal of that process where our peripheries shut down again, which means blood is pushed back into the core, which means that body temperature is pushed back into the core, which means that central core body temperature goes back up. So if we focus on core body temperature in the first half of sleep, core body temperature reduces, and in the second half of sleep, core body temperature increases. And this is a natural progression through sleep. Now, osmolality, high sodium or dehydration, inhibits or impedes that process of peripheral vasodilation in the early part of sleep. So therefore, if you eat high salt foods or if you're relatively dehydrated, then you don't have the ability to lower your core temperature as well. Therefore, you interrupt sleep. So that's one factor that's important in how we entrain our sleep cycle. Yeah. What's the next factor you want to chat about, that would nicely lead us to temperature, I suppose, given, you know, you're talking about the yeah. core body temperature rising in the afternoon and yeah. dropping at night. Yeah. So basically, and that's why temperature yeah. is also really important. If we don't have warm feet when we go to sleep, we can struggle to have a good sleep yeah. at night. Um, and so, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's also, that's also why, you know, having a hot bath or having a hot drink before you go to sleep is helpful because it, it contributes heat to your, to your core temperature and allows you to actually vasodilate because one you know if you're cold if your core temperature is cold you are not going to vasodilate so you have to be warm and your feet and hands have to be warm that's why they used to say drink a warm cup of milk before you go to bed yep <laughs> but mm -hmm. and again milk milk has got carbohydrate and it's got a lot of sugar in it, it doesn't it so I mean, you know but i would actually say if you're going to drink milk drink it a couple of hours before you intend to sleep for the very reasons that we've already spoken yeah. about and if we look at temperature, it's not just our peripheries, like so not just our extremities, you know, drinking a warm cup of milk or having a warm shower. So there are three sort of components we look at when we talk about temperature. One is the fact that your body, your core body is trying to sort of um, basically produce the heat and our extremities are trying to lose the heat. And then it's also the temperature around us. So our room temperature is also really important. Don't try to go to sleep in a, in a cold room or an extremely hot room. Yeah. That's correct, yeah. And so thinking about our room and sleeping, how about light? There's a lot of talk about light, isn't there, when we go to sleep? And then it dawned on me, it must be the blue light. And then I realized that the previous owners in this bathroom had installed a set of blue lights in the bathroom to wake themselves up in the morning. And I'd accidentally left that blue light on at night. 
So I have personal experience of having my sleep disrupted by blue light, and it, the effect is it's, it's so powerful. Now, our bodies are. Our, our eyes, our, our retinal ganglion cells are designed to respond to blue light in a way that we suppress melatonin. So when we, are, when we see blue light, regulate your exposure to daylight. So daylight in the early morning, I always say to people, go for a walk in the sunrise or as early as you can and get that early light and then get everything dark before you go to bed. And it's gotta be, be an hour or so before bed as well, because remember the melatonin starts to rise two or three hours before you actually fall asleep. So we need to match that uh, eradication of blue light to that time. We need to give the space for melatonin to rise. Yeah. It's and the effect of the, the, the lack of a, the, the effect of light on our on our circadian rhythm is very powerful. If we don't get And before we move to the next one, which you're nicely leading into um, exercise, why we need to exercise during the day, I just wanted to mention the whole idea with melatonin um, and you know why it actually, why does blue light actually make suppress the melatonin suppression? Well, what they've actually found, the physiological function of blue light, what it does, it actually increases your heart rate, increases your blood pressure, um, increases your core body temperature, all that which actually is the complete opposite of what you're meant to do when you go to sleep. So it's no surprise why blue light actually does affect um, your trouble with sleep, falling asleep, which is interesting. That's correct. Or have a little baby that can also wake you up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on, I guess, is next to the whole E for exercise. Um, and you just had a nice segue to that about, you know, getting daylight um, ex um, exposure to entering sleep. And so we often talk about doing exercise in the morning, especially if pe people who struggle with falling asleep, if they exercise early in the morning, it can actually help to shift our circadian rhythm a bit forward. Um, and enables to fall asleep earlier. And that's because twofold. One is because of the exercise and the other is because of getting daylight exposure uh, to the sun. Um, and interestingly, if you, have, if you exercise late in the afternoon, it can actually help people with broken sleep. It can actually help to improve that restorative sleep space. Um, but obviously, no one should be exercising within four hours of sleep because you know, you're not allowing enough time for that body temperature to drop, your heart rate's up, you know, that's all a no-go for good sleep. What is your take on it, Virgo, with sleep and, um, and training sleep? 
Well, it's the same as yours. I, 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 I recommend morning exercise to get to, to, to wake people up in the morning. And I recommend that there's no exercise late in the evening. Again, to respect that time that melatonin needs to rise and all the stimulating hormones need to go down. Because remember, when we exercise, we increase our heart rate, we increase our basal, basal metabolic rates, we increase our core temperature. And all of that has got to do with, or at least some of it, it's got to do with the adrenaline that courses around our system as we exercise. And quite frankly, adrenaline is the flight or fright hormone. Sorry, it's the flight or fight hormone. It is not the go to bed and have a peaceful uh, sleep hormone, you know. So adrenaline will, will completely obliterate the ability to sleep. And we just don't want any of that hanging about our systems when we're trying to sleep. So again, in, in training a circadian rhythm, <clears throat> Yeah. And also just to throw one more point into the mix there, um, you know how we talk a lot about yoga and meditation before sleeping as part of our sleep hygiene techniques. And the idea behind that, it's also to just reduce the cortisol levels, reduce your core body temperature, which is what we need for sleep once again, because while you're doing those movements, you're doing the deep breathing techniques and stretching things out and moving that heat to extremities. So you're losing your heat and cooling your body down. So, yeah. Very true, very true. So, well, there you go, C-O-L-T-E. So, Savina, that's all we've got time for today, but thank you very much for your pearls of wisdom as usual. And, I and thank you to you too, Fergal. See you next time. Hey, my name's Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and we'll see you soon. Yeah.